Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Welcome to another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. In tonight's episode, I'm going to walk you through the exact process my team and I use to design inquiry-based units that you can use in your classroom. But I'm going to show you tonight how we do this so that making your own inquiry unit is something you want to try. You at least have some place to start. The first place we start is simply by looking at a brainstorming page. Now, with all of my inquiry units, I like to make sure that we are not just covering the same type of activities over and over again, that there is a variety of activities that are present in the unit. The students have different experiences and different strengths that some of my students may demonstrate they have a lesson or an opportunity for them to demonstrate their knowledge that is within their zone of genius. So I want to have a variety of activities that are going to come in play. Now, this brainstorming page is before I even dig into the curriculum, I really just want to brainstorm different types of activities that I could do. Now we'll look at this brainstorming page, we'll preview the curriculum and look for some ideas of different subjects or different tasks that students may do. And we will try to look at how we can come up with different activities that students could do that could fit into this brainstorming page. So I want to start with what my students are going to know. So at the very top, I look at the overall expectations of what it is the big ideas are for the unit that we are going to be tackling. Then the next step is we're going to be looking at the knowledge that students will know. What are some of the key learnings that we want our students to learn throughout this unit? Then we look at the skills that they want to have. So we have the knowledge, but there also is some skills that they are going to be able to demonstrate. There's also going to be some guiding questions. These are going to be the overarching themes that are within that unit. And this is often contained in that paragraph section or the front matter of the curriculum. So if we look here, some of the big ideas and overall goals here, this is the Ontario Grade 4 Light and Sound Curriculum. So this front matter that you see at the top, as well as the big ideas, the foundational concepts, and the overall expectations, this is where I'm getting a lot of the ideas. But what I want to do is I want to read this and really try to absorb it, put it in my own words, and try to think about what that actually means. This is a lot of teacher speak. I wanna to try to make it really practical for myself and my students. So when I get an idea of just the overall themes that we're going to be covering, what the focus is going to be when I break it down into one or two things, one or two big ideas that students really need to look at what they're covering, once that top part of that page is done, I will then move on to the bottom half of the page. This is where I'm going to 
split apart the different tasks and start brainstorming different activities that are related to light and sound that I can put in these sections. So what are some of the hands-on activities or experiments that students can do, such as bending, bouncing, absorbing light, seeing light travel in a straight line, having students have a hands-on activity where they're creating sound or watching sound travel. You can have students make those cup phones. Those are all different ideas. And I might have to do a little research online to get some ideas of different types of tasks that students can do that would be hands-on. Then I wanna look at problems. These are inquiry units. So we want our students to be problem solvers. So we don't always wanna start with all of the content and front load the content for our students. We want to sometimes be able to start with a problem and then have them try to solve that problem. Some of the activities that we can do are, if we're in a dark cave, how can we get out? What are some light how can we use our lights and our sounds to help rescue us or save us or safety? How can light and sound be used to keep us safe? These are problems that students would have to talk about and figure out how they could use light and sound technology to keep them safe so they can use their knowledge to help solve that problem. We can look for simulations and games. Are there any ways that we can gamify the learning that is happening? Now, this doesn't just simply mean create an activity that students are gonna make their own game board. That could be one activity that we do, especially if we're looking for cumulative lessons, but this also means doing things like escape rooms or having them um, search and find or uh, scavenger hunts or having them do activities where they have to, it's kind of their play. Can we bring this into cross-curricular where there, is there a way that they can use light in the, in outside or can they use it in the phys ed areas or in drama and dance and in art? Are there ways that we can have simulations or games that allow them to experience these things? Now, knowledge building is going to be where we start with the common ideas that they know, and then we build upon that, and we use some of the learning that different students are doing. So this kind of goes hand in hand with problem solving as well, but that knowledge building piece is students generally come in with some understanding of light and sound. They know we use light to see, they know we, use, we hear sound with our ears. What do they think? What are some of their misconceptions with how our ears work or how our eyes interpret color? Getting them to hypothesize what they think those things mean and then getting them to discover whether they were right or wrong or have to change, that's where knowledge building comes in. We start with some of their ideas and their base level understanding of the concepts of that science and then we build upon it. We challenge some of their thinking and we allow it to expand and get them to really understand it at a deeper level instead of just, yeah, we use our ears to hear, but how do those ears work? We get them to hypothesize these crazy ideas. Maybe we've got little monsters in our ears that bang drums. I heard there was an eardrum. Get them to say that and then build and develop upon that. So those are some of the activities that we can build in for knowledge building. This Having you start with a brainstorming page really gets your creative juices flowing and gets you to come up with some different types of activities. If you've got to fill in all of these 
then you're looking at how we can do this. Many increases where they would do, they'd start with a question, they do some research to find the answers to their own questions. So there is still some paper-based activities that they can accomplish in order to do this. Collaborative activities, what are some group work activities that students can do together, whether that's a center's activity, whether it's a jigsaw activity, uh, whether it is they're building and making something, whether they're doing it collaboratively as partners, whether they're figuring it out, how can we use those collaborative activities to get them to learn? Active learning is where they are the participants in the learning. They are leading that learning. So are they teaching some concept to each other? They're active participants here in this activity. So we really want to engage them in that type of learning. And then we always still have time for model lessons because Doing inquiry-based learning does not mean that we don't have opportunities where we actually have to model. There are some concepts in science, thinking of plants and photosynthesis, or even when we're looking at concepts in light and sound, there are going to be concepts that we want to help scaffold the learning for students. We want to give them the information because it's going to be really difficult for them to understand it or be able to find it independently and interpret that information. So a lot of those model lessons are going to be some interpretation lessons and helping them to understand some more advanced concepts. So once we have a well-rounded idea of what our unit could be, it's time to dig into the curriculum and start mapping out when we're gonna put these fantastic lessons in what sequence and how we're gonna fit it all together. The curriculum is typically designed in a very formulaic way. It always starts with the overall expectations one. So in light and sound, you have 1.1 and 1.2. These are your big idea inquiry questions that are often better at the culminating activity in the inquiry project at the end. After some of the more individualized learning has happened, these are your big idea questions where you want students to be able to interpret and understand the complexities of all of the moving pieces fit together. So the 1.1 and 1.2 here are summative, really better leaning towards summative activities. So we're gonna put those at the end of our unit. The 2.0 expectations are often our skills expectations, which are easily integrated in the most part into other lessons. Things like safety, technological problem solving, investigative, following safety procedures, using scientific inquiry. The 2.0s are your skill-based tasks that can be easily integrated into the lessons that you are developing, but they don't typically need to be standalone lessons. Then we get into our 3.0. These are understanding our basic concepts. These are the concepts that we need to go through with our students and generally have lessons or activities that will hit these tasks. Now, this still sounds like a fairly traditional lesson plan where we are going through and still planning lessons and activities that meet these expectations. The thing is, is that it's how we are presenting them. We are still working here with grade four, grade five students. We're not working with grade eight and high school students where we can simply just pose a question and expect them to be able to satisfy all of the expectations of the curriculum. 
This is the planning process, and we are going to make sure that the lessons that we are planning start not with the front loading of material, but we are using discovery-based methods where students can engage in discovery of these. And we're going to talk about how we can lead students into these types of activities through their own questions in just a little bit. But we do want to have a lesson or an activity that does hit these expectations that allows students to discover the learning that is happening in each one of these expectations. So we're going to go through and we're going to combine our brainstorming page with these 3.0 lessons and start plugging them in to a lesson plan. Now this is the lesson outline. This is where we take that brainstorming page and we move into this lesson outline format where we are going to be looking at how we can get our lesson plan in. So we're looking at what expectations are we covering and what would be the activities. So we're going to combine that brainstorming page with the expectations and try to plan and lesson or two that are going to allow our students to discover the learning that satisfies that curriculum expectation. So we're going to go through and we'll probably have somewhere between 10 and 12 lessons when we are able to discover those concepts for those expectations, for the 3.0 expectations. Now, as we're planning out those 3.0 expectations, we're going to look for opportunities to integrate the 2.0 expectations into those 3.0 lessons. So we want to make sure that if anytime we do an experiment that we're spending a couple of minutes discussing safety routines. Anytime students are discovering answers to their own questions or we're letting them problem solve, that's where they're going to be using the scientific inquiry model. Whenever we can, we're going to be integrating those 2.0 lessons right into these 3.0 lessons. So we're going to be mashing those together so that we can cover two expectations at once with the primary goal of each of our lessons being one of the 3.0 expectations. We are also going to spend some time planning out what the assessment indicators could be for each one of these lessons. Now, this doesn't mean that for every lesson we're going to have a product that we need to mark. They simply could be either an observation, a conversation, or a product. By mapping out the assessment here, we can determine whether or not we have a balanced ability to assess on those three different areas, whether we have observations, conversations, and we have products. So we want to make sure that we have a nice balance in our assessment types when we're planning out our lesson. Now we want to have two different parts to each one of our lessons. We do not want to spend our entire lesson in teacher directed. In fact, we don't always want to spend our beginning part of our lesson as a teacher directed lesson. Sometimes we want to have the teacher directed part at the end and the student learning happening at the beginning. So this lesson outline and student activity don't always have to be in that order. They can be flipped depending on what the lesson is about. But we do want to have the component that we have with a teacher where the teacher is either consolidating, think of it like a three-part math. Are, is the teacher going to help students get started? Is the teacher going to be involved in the action steps? Or is the teacher going to be involved in the consolidation of the learning? The teacher's role could be in one of those three places, but it should not be leading every aspect of the learning. We want to begin as inquiry-based teachers to remove the role of the teacher away from being 100% control over everything that is 
happening in all the learning and we want to allow our students to take more of a lead here. So once we have our lesson plans mapped out, we're then going to create any of the materials that we need for each one of these lessons, whether it's a worksheet or an exit card or an activity page that will guide them through their experiment, whether they have observational information that they need to record. And then we are going to have all of that mapped out. Now we don't have to have all of that mapped out at the beginning. Once we have our lesson outline, we can systematically, as we're teaching, develop what we have. Now, granted, you don't have to have a perfectly beautiful created exit card for absolutely everything. A notebook and a lined piece of paper or a scrap piece of paper serves perfectly fine for any exit card or activity. Whenever you can save yourself time and not create a paper-based photocopyable reproducible material, you can use the resources such as notebooks or scrap paper that you have in your room do it. It'll save you a lot of time in the long run. Because I'm a big proponent of fitting it all together, once I have my lessons planned out, I do like to then look for opportunities for cross-curricular learning so that I can actually spend a bit more time. Are there times where I can attach the learning that's happening here or relate it to other science or other social studies lessons that might be happening in that grade level? Can I tie in the learning from light and sound into other areas? If if I can, that's golden. If I'm teaching a split, this would be where I would look for commonalities where one activity could cover both grades, or I would look for similar activities. So if one's doing the experiment on light, is another one, could I do another experiment on something else using the same materials? Because I could save myself some time if both had activities that required flashlights. I also want to make opportunities for cross-curricular math. Is there ability for data management and tracking? Can we track data and use data management to cover our science and our math at the same time? Are there opportunities for coding and understanding how lights and sounds can be used in coding? There's many opportunities where you can engage your students in science as well as math at the same time. So if we can look for opportunities where there could be cross-curricular connections between those two subjects, that would be great. For language, we can look for opportunities for shared reading or even read-alouds that relate to that science area. However, I do like to bring language into my science lessons instead of bringing science always into my language lessons, just because language is such a heavy, heavy topic where we have to cover so much that I'd rather double dip bringing language into science instead of science into language. Arts is a great way for you to be able to integrate what you are doing in science and what you are doing in art and drama and even music for that matter, especially if we are doing light and sound. There are lots of curricular connections with the arts. Media is another area where I really like to look at media and science together to look at how we can use some of those media resources, evaluate what is appropriate and not appropriate resources for their research by looking at different media expectations through our science program. Finally, phys ed allows you to do some games and hands-on activities in different areas with a larger space. So if you can find some cross-curricular connections between phys ed and your science, then you are then able to create even those physical learners can have some idea and understanding of how we can tie science and phys ed. 
I also like to be very clear with which lessons I'm planning cover which expectations. So I will copy the curriculum expectations into these lines here and then make sure I'm actually checking off which expectations are covered for each of the lessons that I have planned. This just allows me to make sure that I have all of my I's dotted and T's crossed. It also helps me for assessment to determine which expectations students covered when they did that activity. Now, once all my lessons are done, lessons two through 12, I go back and this is where I create my wonder wall. Knowing the different lessons that I have and the different learning goals that I have for each lesson and what the big idea is that's being covered or the expectation that's being covered, this is where I go back and I plan out what my Wonderwall cards are going to look like. My Wonderwall lesson is always going to be the first lesson that I use to activate their prior knowledge, to get them thinking, to get them engaged and begin asking questions. However, what I want to be able to do here with the Wonderwall is I want to systematically plant pictures or artifacts or things that I can put on the ground. I want to systematically plant different pictures that are going to get students asking about the activities that we are about to cover. So I know what those 3.0 expectations are. I know that we're going to have to cover lessons that relate to that, but I want students to begin asking questions about all of those different aspects. The best way to do that is to systematically plant images or artifacts that will get your students asking questions about those particular pictures. So if one of my lessons in light and sound is natural and artificial light sources, I may put a picture here with a sun and a light bulb and get students to look at the sun and light bulb and getting them to ask questions. What do they see? What do they know about a sun and light bulb? How are the sun and light bulb related? Getting them to ask questions about the sun and the light bulb, I will then take those questions and that will be the lead in questions that we use when discovering the differences between natural and artificial light. So we can take the pictures to inspire getting their thinking activated, getting them to ask the questions that lead into the lessons that we need to cover. Then students see from their perspective that they have questions and we are going to begin each lesson with answering the questions that they asked. Even though the, the questions that they asked were highly manipulated by the artifacts that we put there. Now there may come up some questions that we didn't anticipate and that's perfectly okay and we can go off script a little bit but we have these lessons in our background. We have these in our back pocket. We know what lessons we can go to, and if there are some questions that we want to plan an additional lesson for or be able to go in that direction, we have that freedom because we have the content. We're not playing catch up. We have the content we need to teach. It's done, it's ready to go, and we can be flexible in the moment and pivot between what it is that we're doing. And this is where it comes into play. If you are a type A teacher that wants to have everything planned out, but yet you still wanna use inquiry, this is the key. You have the plan, but you're also flexible enough to go with the flow in the moment because you know you have the resources behind you. So thank you so much for joining me to learn a little bit more about how you can use different strategies to plan an inquiry unit for your class. If you are interested, this is the exact approach that my team and I follow to plan 
inquiry-based lessons for other teachers through our units that will range from grades three to grade six. Over the last eight years, I have developed a systematic way to plan out highly effective and engaging inquiry-based lessons that you can use in your classroom so that you don't have to do all this front-loaded work to get an inquiry-based unit that is ready for your students that is highly engaging and on topic and covers all of your expectations. You can use all of these strategies to plan the inquiry-based lesson for yourself, or you can head on over to our TPT store, or if you teach grades four and five, and soon, even grade three and grade six, you can head on over to www.madlylearning.com forward slash shop store to check out our already made inquiry-based learning project units so that you can implement these quickly and easily in your classroom and save yourself a ton of time from doing it yourself. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out at any time to info at madlylearning.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning, and we will be back next week, same time, same channel, for more about teaching in the junior grades. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.